0: Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson.
1: And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. And we're going to kick off by talking about the word bossy. Bossy. Bossy, which actually I think has gotten reclaimed a little bit with the whole lady boss movement. Um, (laughs) Let's talk about lady boss soon. Okay. Yeah. Yes. But the word bossy has come up for me recently because I have a daughter who's two and a half and she's very verbal in both English and Spanish, by the way. Oh. And so she has, she's claiming her voice and learning to tell us and other people what she wants and she's mm-hmm. becoming very directive, and like all two-year-olds, she can be a little bit tyrannical uh, <laughs> with the <laughs> way that she asks for things, and so I've felt at times that word bossy on my tongue to describe her, and yet I know that that is a word that's used to describe girls in a negative way, and so it's, um, it's got me thinking about the word bossy, so when you're thinking about growing up as a girl, did you ever get called bossy? All the time. (laughs) All the time.
0: (laughs) And actually, um, I was just at a family reunion a couple weeks ago, and a cousin that I was raised, um, we were raised kind of side by side. She and I were about a year apart, and she would spend the summers with us. And so we, um, in a lot of ways, we were raised like sisters. And um, she was teasing me uh, the other day about how bossy I was as a kid. And um, part of me wanted to get uh, take offense, but I know, I know she meant it in, um, well, she, she wasn't lying is the thing. Like I was definitely the leader. I was the oldest of the grandkids. I was the oldest in my family and I had a lot of, um, leadership skills. And a lot of that came from, I, I babysat my, uh, little brother all the time. And I was used to being, um, in charge And um, in a lot of ways, uh, because I was raised by a single mom for some time, in a lot of ways, I was a a little adult in the house. And so I was just used to being in charge and used to being um, listened to or expecting people to listen to me. Um, And so I probably did blur the line sometimes between being in charge and bossing people around. But, um,
1: yeah, have you ever been called bossy? I'm sure I have been. I was the youngest in my family uh, the youngest of three and the only girl, so I didn't have the chance to boss people around, at least not to be paid attention to and be and be bossy. <laughs> so, uh, but I do remember as an elementary school kid, I was very I was very directive in particular about things that I liked to do, and I would often stage performances because I was in dance class and did singing and things. And so I would gather my friends together and and dole out the parts, and so in that way I exhibited. Great leadership skills. Leadership skills, yes. As a girl. And I I do think I probably wasn't always very equitable uh, in the way that I decided who was doing what. But hey, not everybody's equally talented at dancing and singing. So (laughs) you gotta learn that lesson early, friends.
0: (laughs) So the thing that gets me about bossy, I guess, is that um, it's a word we use for girls. It's not a word we use as much for boys. Maybe young boy toddlers. Um, we might call them bossy, but if you're calling a, an elementary school or, or a teenage boy bossy, you mean it to mean you're acting like a woman bossing people around. And, um, that I think is why I have a problem with the word bossy sort of in a bigger sense and why I think, you know, I'm glad that you're thinking about that already with Sam and not getting started calling her bossy at two, um, two and a half. So
1: yeah, I don't know. What's interesting because, so the word bossy, like a boss. is Sure. So we're saying basically if you're being bossy and you're a girl, you're acting out of line. Yes. Girls are not bosses. Girls are not supposed to be in charge. Mm -hmm. You're being too loud. You're acting out of place. Mm-hmm. And I think it serves to shut girls down and and cause them not to talk as much, not to speak up as much, not to claim their voices. Yeah, I definitely um,
0: think you're right that when we call a girl bossy, we're in a, we're essentially saying be quiet. And mm-hmm. um, that is that is something that that's a lesson I learned when I was when I was late middle school. I mean, late elementary school, early middle school was about when I started hearing um, the fact that I was sort of a a leader and and, an assertive kid. Um, That was the first time people started to give me feedback, like that was a negative thing. And um, it was was difficult for me because I was in Girl Scouts, on the one hand, that are telling me, like, you can be anything you want, girl power, um, don't let anybody hold you back. And then on the other hand, I'm being told you need to be more ladylike, you need to um, be quiet, you need to share, you need to um, back down, let others have their turn, and things like that. And I like I remember this one in particular, um, this in, instance, that in fourth or fifth grade I was at the top of my class and my closest, uh, I guess, in closest competitor, even though it wasn't a competition, I wasn't competing. I was just going to school because I liked school. Um, but, but the next, uh, in line, I guess, uh, grade wise was a little, was a little boy. And at the end of the year, I had the highest grades in every subject. And, um, on awards day, I got all these certificates for the highest, um, average in all the subjects. And they kept calling me up, uh, to get award after award. And I started to get embarrassed. And then after the award ceremony was over, um, that little boy's mom, went up to my mom and said, geez, couldn't Ashley have left some awards for the other kids? And Translation, couldn't you have left some awards for my kid? For my kid, right. And I get that that's just like, you know, you feel protective of your kid. You know, your kid worked hard all year, and then here comes another kid coming along and getting all the awards. Okay. I know she didn't mean it like, your child's a girl, and mine's a boy, and yours should back down and let mine have the awards. I know that's not what she meant. But also I know that when I heard her say that the first thing I thought was oh maybe she's right maybe I should have not tried as hard um so that the other kids could get some awards too and um I know that translated later in school um for a lot of reasons you know it started being less cool um to be smart and things like that but i got to the point where i would lie to my friends about what i got on a test you know they'd ask me what they got and i would say oh i don't know what'd you get and then they would say a grade and i would say a lower grade so that they so that i wouldn't be um hurting their feelings or making them feel bad or whatever and you know i'm not gonna say that that's because i was a girl i felt the need to care take other people's feelings but i'm not gonna say
1: That's not the reason either. Right. That uh, internal message that we get, we internalize the message to downplay our strengths and our abilities. Right. And I Mm -hmm. think that that follows us well into adulthood. We've talked Mm -hmm. about dating before, and Mm -hmm. I remember this conversation that I had with a friend of mine over drinks on Valentine's Day because I was single and and dating in Washington, D.C., which is atrocious and could be a Mm. whole other podcast. But um, (laughs) I was talking (laughs) talking with this friend of mine and just sort of lamenting the problems I was having with dating and talking about some of the bad dates that I'd been on. And she said to me, Katie, you really should think about not being so forthcoming with your dates about how successful you are. Or where you went to school or the kind of job that you have because you'll be intimidating to them and they weren't, aren't going mm-hmm. to want to date you, basically, was the message that she gave She gave to me was don't reveal all of the amazing parts of who you are to someone because he won't be able to handle it, basically. And um, I, I, fortunately. The saddest fortunately,
0: advice ever.
1: <laughs> it was sad and I'm glad that I was in my mid or late twenties at the time, because I knew that that was just a bunch of crap. But, um, I think that those kinds of messages are sent to us at all different ages. And it really is up to the individual girl or woman to fight back against them and not give into that pressure to downplay our successes and our abilities, because there are negative consequences for, for being confident as a girl or as a woman. Yep,
0: and there's a lot of negative words for it, too. Bossy's just the the tip of the iceberg, right? Bossy's a
1: nice version of I know. <laughs> what we're told. Yeah.
0: Um, intimidating's definitely a word that I've heard. Um, I know I've told you this story before, but it reminds me of this guy that I dated who needed help with um, a paper, and I spent a whole weekend of my time helping this guy write a paper from beginning to end, he needed help with structure and an outline and a thesis statement and, and how to write supporting paragraphs and all of it. And um, afterward, he ghosted me. And we've been going out for about a month, like to the point where you think, okay, the- We've been dating long enough now that you can't just, uh, ignore all of my text messages. Like I'm going to ask you out. where you went. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I waited a few days and then I asked him where he went and he, um, just said, yeah, I got busy, you know, um, it was nice hanging out with you, but you're pretty intimidating.
1: <laughs> and
0: by hanging out with, I mean, thanks for all that help writing my paper. Right. Right. Thanks for all that help writing my paper. Um, by the way, you're intimidating. <laughs> you're too smart. Like, And the sad thing, like this was a, he was a really smart guy. He just needed help with this one thing. His strengths were in other subjects and mine happens to be in writing. And um, yeah, so it was, it was really um, a nice little callback to all those times in elementary and middle school and high school where um, I was told essentially the same thing thing you are that to downplay my successes and boys don't like you when you're too, um, you know, assertive or I don't know. So yeah, it's just, it, it's hard to see, to look back and see how it's all connected. Um, it
1: just, yeah, it doesn't feel great. (laughs) That story made me think of another story. My last semester of grad school, I ended up dating this guy who I didn't know very well and we were spending a lot of time together, and he said to me one night, "I didn't think that you would be this nice." And oh. I said, "Ooh, I was said, what do you mean?" <laughs> he said, "I just felt like you were so intimidating uh, when I saw you on campus, and and I think so much of that is the the sexism and how men are cultured to perceive women who are strong mm-hmm. and confident that they must not have." Uh, an emotional or sensitive side or won't be kind in relationships. And so I think that there's a, there's a gender side to the men and how they're taught to perceive women who are like us and Mm -hmm. uh, to see it in a negative way. And, um, that should have been a red flag for me. I'm sorry to say it wasn't, but it should have been a red flag (laughs) for me early on that this is probably not going to end well. (laughs) um, So speaking of divinity school and thinking about faith messages and things, um, what did you hear about, about being a girl growing up in church? Like, did you get any of these messages about being bossy or being ladylike or any kind of negative messages about being a leader and being a woman?
0: You know, I think I was pretty lucky, actually, um. I had a female pastor growing up, and I didn't realize how rare that was until um, after I was no longer at that church. And and now I have a lot of friends who are female pastors and realized how how rare that is and Mm -hmm. um, how lucky I was to have that role model as a kid. Um, And I was also uh, really, I was a leader in my youth group um, and led a statewide um, youth retreat and so uh, I didn't get a whole lot of gendered messages about what I could or couldn't do in the church, w- ways that I could and couldn't contribute. I was raised Methodist, and so part of that is just part of Methodist theology um, in some ways. The the messages I got, the, what I could and couldn't do might not have been an issue, but what I could and couldn't wear was always an issue. Um, Preach. Yeah, so that's another conversation for another day, I think. But um, but I was really lucky. Um, and I know that others were not so lucky. Some of my friends, um, when I got older and went to, uh, went to college, some of my friends there, that was sort of the first time I was exposed to more complementarian um, theology. Um, and that was the first time I'd heard about women not being allowed to lead groups or teach men or um, speak in church. Um, I have a friend who is a really strong, um, incredible person. And she has a, she's just got a strong faith and, um, her family doesn't see her as like a, a a leader in faith in, in their family. And instead they're always lamenting that they don't have like a male head of head of household, um, and things like that. And I just remember thinking like, you don't need one, you've got her. (laughs) Like
1: what, why? But I don't know. How about you? I wasn't as lucky as you. I never saw a woman in the pulpit uh, until probably, I probably saw one in in college, I think. But growing up, I never saw a woman in the pulpit. So it's one thing to hear messages about, like you did in Girl Scouts, that girls can be anything, Mm -hmm. but it really does require seeing someone who looks like you uh, to believe that you can actually do it. Um, so I never had I never had a model of that growing up. And just to go back to the complementarian theology in case folks aren't familiar, it's the idea that men and women are fundamentally created differently. And so they don't have they aren't able to fulfill the same roles in their households or in church. They're complements to one another. Um so there's mm-hmm. all kinds of problematic associations with that. Uh but, you know, essentially it's a rationale used to keep women out of leadership positions in the church uh, officially and to all the way to condoning abuse of women. Um, so it's not something yeah. that we support on this particular podcast. Uh, but I, I, <laughs> <Not so much. laughs> I, like you, uh, grew up United Methodist, but grew up in a very evangelical community where there were people of lots of different denominations, including a lot of Southern Baptists. And I remember being in a group Bible study and reading the book, Let Me Be a Woman by Elizabeth Elliott. Oh,
0: yes. Yes. That's, that's the one that was given to me okay. in college. And I wanted to throw it across the there room. There must have been a movement yes. to get there must adolescent
1: girls to read this book, Let Me Be a Woman. I, I honestly couldn't tell you anything about it. I only know that it led to group conversations with other women about, how, about whether or not women should be ordained whether or not women should serve oh, in governments. Oh, and uh, I remember just thinking, where am I? What planet is this? And not having the skill set or the knowledge base to argue. I just knew how it made me feel. And feeling so yep. invalidated and hearing it yes. from other women. Women. was. Yes. The kicker for me—I had never heard it from any men in my life, never explicitly, anyway—and so it was a real shock to me to hear other women say that they felt like I wasn't capable of being a pastor or the president of the United States or whatever leadership position. And not just incapable, but that God does not want this. You for are not you. intended to do this. If you do
0: this, you are de- you are defying God's will. That is the thing that just. I, <laughs> I don't even have words to articulate, like, how that
1: makes me feel. Yeah, it makes me wonder what, so what were we, what were we supposed to be? You know, what were the messages about what we were supposed to be? And because all, all I could hear at the time was what am I not supposed to be? Uh, Mm -hmm. and I don't know, I don't, I guess somehow I figured out a way to navigate all of that. I started reading feminist theology my first semester of, of college, and that helped me transform my own faith and realize that there were more than one ways, there was more than one way of reading scripture, uh, and, and that I actually Mm -hmm. could find a scriptural basis for my understanding of kind of egalitarian, uh, authority and leadership mm-hmm. among men and women. But um, yeah, it's, it's amazing that we ended up reading that same book and had the same reaction. I wish that we had been friends then that would have been I know. a lifeline for me. Gosh. I know, because
0: I, I remember that book going around my circle, and I was the only one who had a problem with it. All of my other friends were like, yeah, this I mean, this makes sense. Like, don't worry so much about it was kind of like, why are you getting upset about this book? Like, it's just don't worry about it. Just take what you like and don't worry about it. And I just remember thinking, like, this... But you don't understand what this book is telling me. Like, the way I see the world is fundamentally flawed and not not justified. <laughs> and I don't know. I just remember the parts about, like... Literally, the parts about looking attractive for your husband, like, as part of your job as a woman. Like, when your husband gets home from work, you should be calm and pleasant because he's had a hard day and you don't know what's going on in his life and so meeting him at the door with complaints and I just remember <laughs> thinking like what century is this and I, what husband what single woman raising kids you know reads this and thinks oh I need to go get a husband like that that's the way that it just totally disregards so many people's real, actual lived experiences of like what it's like to actually be a woman on this planet. It just made me so
1: mad. Oh, I know. Elizabeth yeah. Elliott, I it made me remember that in my final semester of college, I was in this women in American religion class. And I chose Elizabeth Elliot as my topic oh. because I wanted to really critique her with my new feminist lens. So it, it did get redeemed. Ah. It was redeemed. But I remember at the end of the class, we each had to do a monologue of something they had written. And so I picked this most insidious anti-equality piece that I could find and just delivered it with like this this spitefulness while wearing my Yale Divinity School t-shirt. It was a very redemptive moment. <laughs>
0: That's so awesome. This this is a great conversation. I feel like this is a Pandora's box that I haven't opened since I was 19. Oh, Ashley, don't worry <laughs> about it. Just, you know, just stuff friends. it down.
1: Don't worry about it.
0: Yeah, just stuff it down. Don't worry about it. If God wanted you to understand, he would have made you a boy. Oh,
1: gosh. <laughs> oh, it's sad, but true. <laughs> well, knowing that we could go on and on about this, maybe we should transition into our segment on what we are reading right now. So, what, yeah, tell reading. me what you're reading.
0: All right. So, I have discovered this website, bookriot.com, and their Read Harder Challenge. They do one every year. And I um, started the Read Harder 2017. And what it is, basically, um, it's a whole bunch of categories of books to read that sort of um, push you outside of your typical reading habits. And so there's um, books like read a book about war or read a book set between um, 1900 and 1950 or read a book about immigration um, written by an immigrant uh, or read a banned book. Um, so I uh, – to, to pick a book for um, – this one was – read a book where all point of view characters are people of color. I decided to pick up the classic science fiction classic Kindred by Octavia Butler. Um, She's on all the like top 100 science fiction must reads along with like Handmaid's Tale. Um, And so I uh, started that um, and just fell
1: in love with it. It's so good. And aren't you reading it too? Or didn't you just I did. And Unrelatedly, although perhaps the title "Kindred" was was part right. of our choosing, <laughs> a it. on the nose. But no, independently, <laughs> we both were reading this.
0: Yeah, um, but yeah, it's about um, a, it's about it's set in two different time periods: uh, the nineteen seventies and then the like. Uh, pre-civil war south and the main character is a black woman who lives in i think southern california in the 70s and she is married to a white man and they have a pretty um modern uh relationship and then one day she out of nowhere gets transported to um the pre-civil war south and she's now a a slave and um keeps she's there um to, to kind of unravel some family history is the reason that she's she keeps getting sucked through time. And at one point, her, um, her white husband goes back with her and has to pretend to basically be her owner. And they, she just does such an amazing job of um, really showing the differences in the two time periods and also linking them, um, the ways that the legacy of slavery hasn't gone away. Um, and really painting a very vivid picture of what it was like, um, to be a slave in that time. Um, and it just, it's
1: also just an incredible, it's just, it's a great read. Yeah. I've really enjoyed it too. There's so many parts of it that we could talk about, but it was really interesting to see the dynamics between the main character. I'm forgetting her name now, but, um, she's educated and, um, knows a lot about modern medicine and things because she lives in the 1970s. And so she's going back with all of this knowledge and all the white people are used to seeing black people as slaves with no education, with no resources. And yet she has the things that they need to survive. So it it brings up all of these interesting power dynamics. Uh, And also she talks a lot about the effects that this has on her hu- on her white husband to have to go back into time mm-hmm. and to have to be complicit in the system of slavery. Uh, it's a fascinating book, really quick read. I read it on vacation. I highly recommend it. Um, it's a classic that could have been written yesterday. Uh, it's, yes. I think it's just mm-hmm. timeless.
0: Yeah. So um, that brings us to um, Kindreds of the Moment. And um, I've got the uh, the Kindreds for this week. Um, I want to lift up the episode of Death, Sex, and Money podcast. Uh, we at Kindreds are a big fan of podcasts. And um, Death, Sex, and Money is one of my favorites um, with Anna Sale. And this episode took place when um, Anna was on maternity leave. And so she had a bunch of guest hosts filling in. And this episode is awesome. It's Ellen Burstyn is filling in as guest host, and she's interviewing Gloria Steinem. And it's just a lovely conversation between two women who have been around a long time. Um, They've seen a lot, and um, they're both in their 80s now, and they're uh, kind of looking, they're just talking about their perspectives on second wave feminism and what it meant for their lives as younger women and how um, Ellen talks about how she sort of followed the traditional path of having kids and getting married, um, but she still was able to pursue her acting career and uh, Gloria sort of took the, the opposite track and didn't want to get married. And um, she was a lot older when she did, and, and it she really um, – you know spent her life as an activist, and um, so the conversation's just really wonderful and they talk about um looking forward into the into the future and they talking about their death kind of in in the way you only do when you're when you're a lot older and a lot more comfortable with that idea and they they talk about how they like people to think about celebrating their lives after they die and it's just a it's a great episode, fascinating, and just a really sweet conversation between
1: two women just kind of talking about life, yeah. I need to listen to that. I love Gloria Steinem. I mean, you have to love Gloria Steinem. She has her problems, yeah. but she is a radical. I got to meet her when I was in grad school, and she is exactly as amazing in person as you would as you would think, oh. which very few people who have that kind of notoriety impress me that much in person, but right? she really just exudes this energy and passion, and she's so creative and always learning, which I think is what has kept her so uh, youthful and um, and energetic. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to say that she has written the foreword for every single book I've read in the last six months, I swear, at least 75%. <laughs> she's busy. She is busy. <laughs> and she's spending her time lifting up emerging activists and authors by endorsing their books, which I think is just a wonderful gift our community to to be thinking as you near the last stage of your life, who, how can I keep this movement going? She is a movement person. And I really admire that about her and want to be like her when I grow up.
0: (laughs) You know, I think about that a lot, who I'd like to be with when I'm, who I'd like to be like when I'm 80. And if I could be like either of them, I'd be,
1: I'd be happy. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com, that's kindreds with an S, or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Zay. that's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Next time we'll be talking about demystifying self-care. Talk to you then. Talk to you then.